1: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton bank and Celtic bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: Well, it's Monday. So you know what that means. It's time for our shout out to the troops, but it's a very special Monday, isn't it? Independence day. So for all those men and women out there who fought so hard for this independence, let's raise our coffee cups or whatever you happen to be drinking and, uh, Let's do a toast on behalf of the men and women here in the basement making the Stacking Benjamin Show and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union. Here's to our troops. Let's go stack some Benjamins together on this special holiday, shall we?
1: Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, welcome to another Rewind episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, but for this 4th of July holiday, I'm taking it way back with a historic name, Fintern. And a happy 4th to you, stackers. You're in luck, because not only can you be the queen or king of the grill today, but you can also tell your friends all about how the American Revolution was funded by our founding fathers. It'll be our secret, although sharing that it came from historian Tom Schachtman, the author of Founding Fortunes, might also score you some extra points as well. Imagine, between your burgers, brats, and bragging, you'll be the hit of the neighborhood. You're welcome. We could all use a history refresher every once in a while, so Joe and OG are off this week to soak up the heat, humidity, and bugs in Texas. I'll just hit play on this amazing walkthrough history, which originally aired back in 2020. So enjoy the Rewind episode, but ignore any giveaways or mentions of current events. Enjoy, Fintern out.
2: So, faced with the question, where did they go next with this podcast? The guys were recently joined by legendary musical genius Bruce Dickerson, who's agreed
3: to be the new producer of the Stack and Benjamin show. They were all excited
4: to meet him. Hey, fellas, I'm Bruce Dickerson. Yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound, fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. <laughs>
1: bell
4: Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. <laughs> I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and let me be the first to welcome you to Community Manager Appreciation Day. We'll be thanking our community manager today, plus we're going to talk about the money behind one big community, this nation. How did the USA get its start? With some founding fortunes, here with stories about John Hancock, Patrick Henry, Sam Adams, and more, let's welcome Tom Schachtman. Plus... Are returns on sustainable investments any good? We'll cover a headline from Barron's about that topic. Later, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Heather, who just opened an HSA with Fidelity. But Heather and her husband aren't sure what funds they should invest their money in. Advice? And don't you worry, we'll still save time for my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who couldn't tell you the difference between a DM, a and a tiktok machine joe and oh I have a feeling
0: those are all two our community manager
3: use i do know what tiktok is it's i know what it means to slide into somebody's dms no don't know that one
0: i i, I don't know is is that uh is that an off-color reference
3: no no it's where you uh Direct message somebody on Twitter.
0: Ah, slide this conversation into their
3: DMs. I'm going to slide into your DMs. Did you just try on two different pairs of glasses?
0: I had to figure out which pair can,
3: <laughs> which pair I can wear. God, you're <laughs> getting old. Oh, isn't man, that, that's impressive.
0: Isn't that bad? Well, I'm not as old as the revolution, but we're going to talk about the revolution today. Tom Shackman upstairs, OG. We're going to talk okay. about how much money was at stake for... The founding fathers. I mean, think about this: the amount of money that they had to put behind the battle for independence, and if it didn't go the way that they wanted, not only their fortunes were on the line, their legacy, their necks. I mean, some some pretty drastic stuff. So Tom Shackman here to talk about that little history lesson today on the show. This episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. You're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out. Like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Big show today. Tom Shackman talking founding fortunes, a little revolutionary history. But first, let's roll into Couple pretty, pretty interesting headlines
3: Hello, darlings and now it 's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking
2: benjamin 's headlines
0: Our first headline comes to us from barons. You know back when I was a, a financial planner o g people would ask me about sustainable investing or about socially conscious investing and mm-hmm. and I would roll my eyes, not because of the fact. That there's anything wrong with those types of investments, but because historically that area was a dumpster fire and I knew we were going to have to have a conversation that
3: was not going to be exciting for the. What do you like more? The cause that you're trying to support or money? (laughs) The good news. You get to pick (laughs) one of them the good news bit, uh, is traditionally not yes. always the case but traditionally
0: well and here's the thing that's been changing a lot according but it's to this, been changing yeah right. according to Barron's piece mutual funds that rank high on sustainability outperforming the market this written by leslie p norton maybe environmental social and governance or esg investing is a sustainable strategy after all Barron's fourth annual ranking of big cap equity mutual funds that received an above average or high sustainability rating from morningstar shows that they outperform comparable funds with lower sustainability ratings. The 189 actively managed funds that met those criteria returned 30% in 2019, just shy of the 31.5% the S&P index returned for the year. So instead of really getting smoked by the S&P, you just got just just a little sliver off of it. What's more, 41% of the 189 funds beat the S&P 500. 41% of the 189 funds beat the S and P 500 far better than the 29% of big cap equity funds overall that beat the index and up from the 39% of sustainable big cap funds that beat the index last year.
3: So the message there is that it's possible to beat the market. It might also be possible to beat the market while investing in things that are good for you, good for the environment, good for, governance. Mankind. Whichever
0: Whatever. you want. And, and actually, what I like about this, OG, is that, you know, Historically, this type of investing has been about what you don't do right it 's about what it 's not it 's not this sure. it 's not yep. that it 's not that and instead, now people can take their money and they can put it in a fund that goes toward things that do
3: this or things that do that and things that do this other thing or companies that behave in a certain way
0: yeah I you know like- they
3: may not- su- they may not support or do that thing or avoid that thing, but they may be. Doing what they can do.
0: It feels like there's a lot more choice in this area, and it also yeah. feels like it's a lot less judgy. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know, back 15 years ago, it felt kind of judgy. And, uh, well, you just don't want
3: to make any money then, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, or on the other side, well, I don't really care about making money because I care about other things. You know, one or the other. It had to be one or the other. Right. Now you can say, you know what, I really like X thing. Can I invest in that and still be diversified? And more than ever before, the answer is maybe. Yeah.
3: Interestingly, though, uh, that percentage number, they said, uh, was about a third of actively managed mutual funds beat the market. This was about 40% of ESG mutual funds beat the market that are actively, you know, that, those numbers are about the same. And what I think is kind of interesting about it, especially we're talking about, this is the fourth time I think you said that that had thing, put, thing, this, yeah. put this together. I wonder if that will ebb and flow that 40% number. They said it was up from 39%. So, you know, that's not really markedly different, but I wonder if that'll ebb and flow, but here's the important thing to note, just cause that fund ABC fund did it in 2019 is no predictive value of whether or not it will do it in 2020. And that's what this piece
0: goes on to say next. They are right in your wheelhouse. So gee, listen to this, such outperformance could be coincidence to be sure After all the practices, sustainability has pushed fund managers and investors into high quality growth companies, exactly the kinds of stocks that have dominated a market where economic growth is sluggish and interest rates are low the outperformance could also be fleeting in 2019 according to Yardini research s&p 500 operating earnings probably grew 1% even though the index fetches 18 and a half times consensus estimates for 2020 if and when overall earnings snap back these funds could lag behind i don't think the message though here is getting ahead with esg investing i think the bigger message is I think we're starting to see more of a blend in, you know, it's just becoming a part of the yeah. game for a lot of fund managers.
3: You can do it if you want and not have to suffer.
0: Yeah. Our second headline comes to us from financialplanning.com, the place where financial planning nerds like OG and I hang out. Uh, this it's written by for yourself. <laughs> Jessica, you don't hang out here. Jessica, Matt, you do hang out here. You're just not a
3: nerd. Not a nerd,
0: You're obviously. Yeah. Is uh Oh, man. OG. I want to talk about this because this is a little area that uh, you and I know a lot about, but a lot of people listening to this show might not know something about is Schwab blocking broker breakaways is the headline. And I could see the little smile yes. on, on your face. <laughs> Ah, uh, this is interesting stuff that we're going to get into. People don't even know this stuff occurs. After almost a decade working for Charles Schwab as a financial planner, David Sow was ready for a change and had his eyes set on the Independent Channel. Soon after he began his search in January 2019, a headhunter told Sow he'd had no success finding a match. Three RIAs that interviewed Sow came back with identical answers, no. They all said, Dave, we can't talk with you. Sow says, the reason, quote, Basically, they were using Schwab as a custodian, and Schwab would have issues. Even as Schwab doubles down on its aggressive advertising campaign that promotes the value of the independent advisory channel, a lawsuit, as well as what one former Schwab executive refers to as in, quote, unwritten policy, highlight the length Schwab is willing to go to to keep its own employees from going independent with RIAs that use its custodial division and taking any clients with them. We've seen this happen at brokers all the time. OG, oh, you're working with somebody who is with one of the big major firms and all of a sudden they tell you, "Becky's not here anymore." And you go, "Well, uh, where did Becky go?" I don't I don't have any idea where Becky went. But a lot of the time Oh, no,
3: they know exactly where Becky went, they, they but they're do. not going to tell you.
0: <laughs> but on the they're on the other side You find out that Becky left a company. You might even see advertisements for Becky. Becky doesn't contact you. And you thought you and Becky were friends. She's been your advisor for a long time and she doesn't even have the courtesy to call you. Well, the reason might be that Becky can't call you because Becky will get sued if she calls you. This is kind of a Jerry Maguire thing, I think, OG.
3: Well, there's a lot of rules on how you can behave uh, and every company is going to be a little bit different with this. I think the last sentence that you had about Schwab around they don't want them to take their clients with them. And that's really the biggest thing. I mean, when you think about it from the perspective of the business owner, in this case, Schwab or your example, Becky's broker, who put forth all the effort to acquire that client? And by effort, I mean... Not the not the sitting down face to face. I mean the ten million dollar ad campaign oh, yeah. that got you to walk into the Schwab office. Right. That got you to roll over your money. That got you to whatever. And to be fair, I'm certain that Schwab makes way more money. We custody at Schwab. I'm sure that they make way more money for the people that walk in the door than they do through you. When, than they do through us. So I get it. They're like, yeah, you can go, but but you're not going to take anybody with you. And the other side of it is, I'll be interested to see how this all plays out in court, if they really are kind of putting some backdoor pressure on other firms who already custody or have that relationship with Schwab to say, hey, by the way, don't be hiring Dave. You know, like they said in the story, I haven't heard that. But you've known people that have changed companies. I have. I I started at American Express like you did. I went to a different firm for a year and a half before we went completely independent the transition from Ameriprise to the other place was okay. It wasn't terrible, but of course I wasn't like, you know, the number one guy in Detroit or something at the time. You know what I mean? Like they're like probably like good riddance, (laughs) you know, but they did call my clients, by the way, OG isn't here anymore. And, uh, you know, I've been assigned your account and for all your buddies, I remember this distinctly. For everybody that was in the office that were like your chummy chum buddies, when they got one of your clients, boy, they were like rabbit animals. You know what no I mean? No longer like, your friend. <laughs> no way. Oh, that guy. Oh, you're so happy to get rid of him. Oh, yes, you're gonna love. You're gonna love. You're gonna love me way more than you left. him. In fact, because you know, and I did call clients. We were able to do that, and uh, and I did call them. And now you couldn't solicit them. It was kind of weird. You could say, Hey, by the way, I'm over here now. You couldn't say, Come with me. Yeah. You could just say I'm over here, but I remember talking to, uh, talking to somebody that was in the office with me and I said, Hey, uh, I heard you talk to, uh, you know, Bill and Judy or whatever their names were. Yeah. I like, yeah, yeah. They're really great clients. They're going to, they're, they're going to be great clients. I'm like, well, I'm sure you told them that I'm like down the street, right? And he's like, no, when I would do that. I got a free client out of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know? so, <laughs> Sorry, man. A little cutthroat. I
0: love you and all. Yeah. However. Yeah. Yeah, not uh, persona
3: non grata after a while. But uh, uh, you gotta track down your people. And that's maybe, why it's important just to be independent. Nobody calls me. Well,
0: and that's and, and that's the downside, I think, of working with an advisor at one of these big firms. You might get a great relationship with them, get a phenomenal yeah. relationship with them, and when they leave that place. There, who knows what the restrictions are going to be? I mean, I know people that have been very, have felt very, very hurt when their advisor left, and they thought that their advisor would call them. We went to lunch together. We went to dinner, and yeah. they could be very. I can't very, even
3: tell you that I'm thinking about leaving.
0: Right? They could be very, very much your friend, but the legal ramifications are so tight that people don't don't have any idea about all this
3: stuff. Well, they tried up. to assuage this a little bit. Some years ago, they had this thing called the broker protocol, where basically everybody signed up for it, all the big ones, Merrill and Morgan and whatever, oh, we did and basically a, said, "Was that?
0: Well, we did, a sto- we did a story about this. I remember we did this story, but it's like two, three years ago.
3: Yeah. About so a it used bre- to be, about, about a breaking up. Exactly. Yeah. It used to be that, you know, it was kind of a handshake agreement, right? We won't sue you. If you guys don't sue us, we'll steal guys from Merrill. You can steal guys from Morgan, you know, whatever. And then after a few years of that, it just got so expensive because these companies are throwing huge amounts of money at people to leave. I think I
0: remember where this started. I think it started with uh, Wells Fargo because Wells Fargo had so much bad juju going on already. And there were so many people leaving that Wells Fargo had to be the first one to leave that whole agreement. If I remember the story we did correctly, I think they were the first one to go, yeah, we're not playing by those rules anymore.
3: Yeah, it might have been. Because they couldn't
0: afford to. I mean, they seriously couldn't afford to.
3: And nobody was coming. Everybody was going, basically. Yeah,
0: Yeah, remember Mm -hmm. when we did those quarters, by the way, speaking of Wells Fargo, where they announced, like, gleefully that they only lost, like, 100 advisors, whatever the number was. (laughs) Hey, good news. People Only
3: down 8% of our workforce.
0: People aren't running to the exit anymore. They're now walking to the
3: exit. It's a leisurely stroll.
0: It is. It is fantastic. Speaking of leisurely stroll... You definitely don't want to take a leisurely stroll when it comes to your taxes, OG. It's tax time again. It's the
3: most wonderful time of the year.
0: <laughs> do, you have your, do you have your tax day lights up yet? Mine come
3: up the second week of October.
0: <laughs> well, OG, it's that time of year. The time when it's time to worry about your taxes. And I'll tell you what gets rid of a lot of that worry is when you surround yourself with the right partners, Founded in 2001 by a CPA and a team of professional software developers, FreeTax USA is one of the fastest-growing tax websites online today. Over 43 million free federal tax returns have been filed with the IRS. The free service has 175,000 five-star reviews. First of all, your maximum refunds guaranteed at FreeTax USA. Their free service includes basic premium and self-employed features, federal filings free, even with 1099 rental or small business income. Other services charge over 100 bucks, as you may know, to file advanced tax returns. Common life events like having a child, going to school, buying and selling a home or cover without the need to upgrade. And how does free tax USA make money? They make money from state tax returns and other optional services. Filing your federal and state taxes together saves you time and of course improves accuracy. And for less than 15 bucks, it's an excellent value. Free Tax USA treats returning users right. No other service gives more to the returning users for free. Free Tax USA doesn't charge customers to archive to download or to print their old returns importing is automatic and free. And every year returning users automatically have their tax information rolled forward from the year before. And if you didn't use free tax USA last year, you can still import a PDF from h and block or tax act. Customer support, of course, you'd expect this. It is free and accessible through their support center email. There's no risk to try freetexusa.com. You don't pay anything until you're ready to file your return, create an account, compare the results and price with your current tax software. It's amazing how fast it works, how intuitive it works, and how easy they make it. To learn more and to get 10% off, head to freetaxusa.com forward slash SB and use code SB. That's for 10% off, you have to use our link, freetaxusa.com forward slash SB, use code SB. And so I think we have a few lessons. Number one, be ready for tax day. But I think our other two lessons, OG, number two, your advisor goes away. Maybe they still do love you. You might just google have to them. you might have to google them.
3: You got to take a little initiative maybe. Do some homework and then
0: ESG investing, while it might not be a cure all and it may or may not be beat the market invest. I don't know why you'd want that anyway. I don't I know thi- why I would
3: want to beat the market.
0: Well, I'm saying I don't know why that would be your primary goal. Your primary goal would I be see. to to meet your goal.
3: Beat Joe's portfolio.
0: Got it. To beat Michael, right? I think our takeaway there is uh, ESG investing not horrible anymore. OG, I think we
4: might be able That's to exactly say exactly
3: how they want that message <laughs> to be. We don't suck as bad as we used to.
0: <laughs> Tom Shackman. Is the author of a brand new book out called Founding Fortunes. I love this stuff. Uh, he has written three books about the revolutionary era. He's written over 30 books. He's also done documentaries. This guy's done everything. His other recent books on the era include How the French Saved America. Do you know the French Saved America? That's they another surprise. That's a whole nother story. Soldiers, sailors, diplomats, Louis XVI and the success of a revolution, that also from St. Martin's Press, and gentlemen, scientists and revolutionaries from Palgrave macmillan He's done so much, but today we're going to talk to him on my dad's shortwave about the founding fortunes, how the wealthy paid for and profited from America's revolution. Let's say hi to our new friend, Tom Shackman. And on my dad's shortwave, it's our new friend, Tom Shetman. Tom, how are you?
2: Fine, thanks.
0: Well, I'm so glad you could be here with us. Before we get into this, there are two acts I think they're going to be fundamental to our entire discussion. And those are the Stamp Act and the Townsend Act. And before we get into this, obviously isn't where you start with the book, but I think we need to start here so people know what the heck we're talking about. Tell me what the Stamp Act was and what it did.
2: Well, the Stamp Act was passed by the British Parliament in 1765 to try to make uh, America pay retroactively for the French and Indian War, which had ended in 1763. And actually, the Americans had paid almost everything they owed at that point. They were paying it uh, sort of twice as fast as the British uh, thought they were going to. So, somebody, some bright guy in Parliament, said, well, if they're not able to pay, why don't we charge them more? <laughs> and then we'll just put, you know, make them put stamps on it so it won't look like we're taxing them. It'll look like them taxing themselves. Well, we caught on pretty quickly, and uh, most of the stamps never even got to this country. They didn't quite suffer the fate of the tea, was that's uh, some years later, get dumped into the ocean, but pretty close enough. And so they sent the stamps back, the stamp-making things, and uh, we actually got Parliament to rescind the Stamp Acts, and they said, well, that's very good, so le- next time, let's see if we can figure out a way to tax them uh, where they don't even think they're being taxed. So we'll do some such- things under a rubric called the Townshend Act, and they were proposed in 1767, and there were a whole slew of different things, you know, sort of like cutting off your toenails so that you won't know that... You're losing your toes. And, and uh, there was many different thing. And the Americans responded this time by forming uh, the first consumer boycott. They had what they call the non-importation councils, where if you were buying something from Great Britain, it really had to be something very basic and very ne- necessary, or else they'd confiscate it from you. Thomas Jefferson was so afraid of them that uh, he had imported 14... Sash window for Monticello, and he had to give them up, you know, what? The, when they came in. He said, oh, I'm so sorry, I ordered these.
0: You also wrote, Tom, that he had a carriage that was delivered, and he had to defend the carriage, too, right?
2: Right. Yeah, and Hancock was sort of on the council, there, so he was pretty embarrassed. Well, he said, I'm not meaning to resell the carriage, you know, I'm just going to use it for me, so <laughs> it's, it's really not uh, a problem for you all, is it? And they said, well, no, but don't use a carrot. So he eventually said, okay. And then he decided to fire a couple of people so that uh, it would look good.
0: (laughs) I wanted to uh, begin, now that we know what those acts are, the way that you begin the book, with John Hancock. And John Hancock owns a ship. And John Hancock is a really, really wealthy dude. But it sounds like, Tom, he was a smuggler, and he he tried very hard to make sure that the British weren't onto exactly what was on his ships.
2: Yes, all of those things are true. I mean, most people, if they were going to make money, there, they had to get around the rules a little bit. But I think we need to go back even further and just say, look, the only way you could really make lots of money in America at that time was by dealing directly with the Brits because everything else was forbidden. And so Hancock, uh, who took over from his uncle, uh, had, had a business that, that relied almost entirely on importing things. And then they started tax- slapping taxes on it. And when you do that, every importer knows you can't really pass the whole thing along to the, your retail customer. You have to eat some of it, or else the prices will just go up very quickly, and then people just stop buying. That's why people became smugglers, because some of these taxes seem pretty stupid anyhow to them. For example, if you want to buy Madeira from Madeira Island, which is Portuguese, uh, it has to have a tax on it. You have to send it to London, have the tax put on it, and then send it to America. That sounds pretty stupid, and it also raises prices. So people like Hancock would, would try to get around this sort of thing, and that's how he became a smuggler
0: when he uh when he had people board his boat he would really rough these guys up tom in fact i was surprised at the beginning of the book to hear how much he roughed them up one guy he i think imprisoned him on the boat he also made him not tell that uh as they were secretly taking things off the boat i was surprised that he got away with that for as long as he did
2: well it's a few hundred years ago we had more mafia than we have now. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it really people with power had all sorts of power. And Crancock uh, was was trying to defend himself, and they, there may be a thousand people who worked with him, and this little municipal official was just trying to uh, put the squeeze on him too, because there was very much of that all going on, and bribery, and uh, yeah, it takes two to, to have a bribe, one mm-hmm. to offer it, one to accept it. So there was plenty of bribery going on on the British side. So these things uh, worked out in a much more power-versus-power fashion than they do today. Today, we just blackball you. That's easier. <laughs>
0: when, when, When he finally gets caught, his ship, you write his ship, the Liberty gets seized by the British. At first, the British say that they're going to allow uh, him to, I don't know what the term would be, but like post bail on a ship where he's going to get to use it. He's still going to court, but he's going to get to use it.
2: It's Samuel... Yeah, a- even when you won in court, for example, as he did and eventually had done, as uh, Henry Lawrence did in a similar case down in Charleston, you still had to buy back your ship. It was very complicated. That's uh, but crazy. What I, the reason I started my book, with this incident is because it's the first time that the rich and the poor get together on a, on a single issue. They did so a little bit in the Stamp Act, but much more in 1768. But the people who are on the the pier uh, trying to, to prevent the takeover of Bangkok liberty ship are ordinary people. They're, they're warehousemen, they're sailors, some of them are slaves indentured servants and all of this, and they're picking up the paving stones and they're throwing them uh, at the British to try to prevent them from taking the liberty. These are clearly lower class people, but they're defending the property of the, the probably the, the wealthiest guy in town, and they're doing so because he had shown himself to be on their side. The revolutions really take place. They start among the lower classes, but they don't really take off until you have some... Um, top-tier people involved. It could be top-tier intellectually, but it also can generally mean top-tier in terms of, of, of wealth. You have to have the wealthy behind you or else it looks like a rich versus the poor type of thing. And that's a different kind of revolution. Those sorts of revolutions happen now and then, but they don't, they don't really seem to take hold. And the glory of the American Revolution is that the rich and the poor combine together to make this revolution. And this is... I started the book with this incident because that, I believe, is where is the moment when that begins to happen.
0: I wondered when I was reading that, is part of that because Samuel Adams is such a good writer and Samuel Adams is able to make that point that we're all on the same team? Well, he was
2: a good rabble-rouser, and he probably our first real politician who was only a politician, never really much of anything else. I mean, we now have a Samuel Adams brewery, but that's not really his legacy, it's just just using his name. He was a brewer, but not a terribly good one. And he was also a tax collector at a time, so he sort of knew knew both sides of the problem. Um, He and Hancock were an interesting team together. Weren't quite a Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside, but they were on on both sides of the wealth fence, that was for sure. And uh, most of the merchants in Boston were Tories. And uh, we know this because later on when... Boston was evacuated, and the British took with them all their sympathizers. Uh, Seventy percent of the merchants in town went with them. So the people who are not Tories, like Hancock, and they were just a few, are really in the minority. And and for them to ally themselves with the people in the lower classes who are led by Sam Adams uh, was was a really interesting and important uh, thing to have happen. And it happened all over the country happened in Charleston, it happened in Philadelphia, to a lesser extent in New York. But this is how the Revolution really got hold in the late 1760s and early 1770s.
0: I want to go down the coast. You mentioned Charleston because it really was different in Charleston, wasn't it? It seems like even more of a difficult separation from the British than it was even in Boston.
2: It was more difficult to separate, and they, they were not smugglers down there. they They prided themselves on saying that because they weren't engaged in, in quite as much trade. They were engaged in a different kind of trade, which is to uh, sell off their tobacco and their rice and their indigo. Cotton was not yet a crop there. It was it didn't happen until another 25, 30 years. But all of those crops that I just mentioned are produced in the South, and, and they were very valuable uh, in the Caribbean islands and also in uh, England and in Europe, you would send your tobacco, or you had to send it to England, then they would triple the price and sell it to France. And this was very important for the British, because they got a lot of money out of it. American farmers didn't get so much in proportion, but there were enough of them so that they did They produce some wealth there. And Charleston was actually a wealthier city than Boston at that time.
0: I want to move forward just a little bit to, well, uh, uh, quite a ways, actually, to the war, because one thing I'd never thought about, Tom, before I read your book was the financing of the war. And you mentioned a few guys in Washington's army who not only were instrumental because of their ability to get goods, but we also really needed their credit. That surprised me how much the battle depended on individual people's credit.
2: Yeah, well, that credit was An interesting thing, I mean, we are awash in banks. Every other building in a a major city seems to be owned by a bank. You know, you have a bank on every corner, you have a bank in your phone, Uh, all of that stuff. And we don't even know how we would get along without banks and credit cards and that kind of stuff. But back in colonial America, banks were illegal. There were none, zero. And that had been enforced by the British. And this, this meant that credit was very restricted. And the only people who really had credit were guys uh, like uh, Jeremiah Wadsworth of, of Hartford and New Haven, who was trading internally in in the colonies. And uh, he had built up trust so that he could buy from suppliers and sell to to others. All of this untrust, a tremendous trust system that was built up. But when the war began, all of their sources of money that came from outside the country were completely cut off. And yet the, the army has to be supplied, it has to have food, it has to have clothing, uh, it has to have shelter, it has to have ammunition and an arms, and only some of these are made in the U.S. I mean, there are no arms made in the U.S., no armor, uh, no bullets, no cannon. It's very difficult to obtain all that. And the supplies as well. You know, it wasn't somebody who'd say, you can go down to Walmart and get yourself a couple of gross of, of camouflage uniforms. It's, just, it's not going to happen that way. But you have to rely on people who've been in the commercial business before the war. And they put out, they lay out their own credit, and then they bill the government. And maybe they'll get paid, maybe they won't. And so it takes a special kind of person who has enough credit and who is also willing to advance it to be able to supply the army. And that's what happened in the shack of the war.
0: It's amazing how you have these really wealthy people with their credit on one end, and yet you paint a stark difference between them, Tom, and the soldiers actually in the war. The people that were in the war uh, in the Continental Army had no money.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, one of the things that hampered us in understanding how the war went is that we really have no view from the trenches because a lot of the people were illiterate or they they if they wrote something down it was only in letters that later became scattered around because and disappeared because they didn't have the name George Washington on them. You know, so we really don't know a lot about what went on in the trenches. But so we have a couple of diaries and in them they're always complaining that not only don't they have much food and they don't have any soap so they can't take a bath, but they haven't been paid in years. One guy from Connecticut says when they get, starting on the march down to to Yorktown, they almost rebelled when they got to Philadelphia, and that's why they were paid. And they were paid in actually in French coins, because that was real hard money. So the armies were mostly serving without pay. Wow. And that's why there were so many desertions. People said, look, you know, if you're not going to pay me, And I have to pay a substitute to go take care of my farm while I'm out here. You know, I'm just going to quit and go home and take care of the farm so I don't have to keep laying out money.
0: Sure. I just, I try to put myself back there in any of these people's shoes and, and I just, I can't imagine. I want to go back to the wealthy guys. Had the war gone a different way, Tom? these guys not only, of course, were all going to hang, but I thought about, in preparation for today, just their legacy. I mean, these were some huge fortunes these early Americans had that were also on the line.
2: Yeah, they were. I mean, it's not clear whether they were going to hang or something like that, because if they lost the war, what was Great Britain going to do? going to completely destroy the uh, American colonies? That that would vitiate their entire usefulness Mm. to Great Britain. So maybe they would say, okay, well, you'll, you'll go to jail, but your junior son can take over the farm or something like that. It wasn't really clear what kind of retaliation it would be. But during the war, there was plenty of it. They were burning all the towns, but like we here in Connecticut know that intensely because a lot of our coastal towns were burned once or twice, and sometimes even three times, Where a lot of commerce was going on, and sometimes just as a punishment. There were plenty of rich people who just you know, pulled in their horns and didn't do anything. And I said, okay, well, we'll just operate here on the farm. Uh, we'll sell to our neighbor or something like that, and we'll just, just hope the war will end soon. Well, it didn't end soon. It kept going on and on and on.
0: The level of research that you did for this book, and that I'm sure you've had to do for all of your books, Tom, I just can't imagine... What was the story in this book that surprised you the most? Like, as you as you dug in, you thought, wow, that doesn't seem like it was even truthful.
2: Well, there's a tremendous amount of information available. First of all, a lot of it is available on, online. You can get over 180,000 uh, letters and documents of the Founding Fathers online. At just a click of a button in one place. Uh, All the letters of Washington, Hamilton, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, and Franklin are all in one place. So that's a great help. And then there are wonderful libraries uh, that I'm able to use. And uh, it's just terrific to be able to go into these things. And what what consistently has impressed me was how much and how deeply they thought about what it was that they were doing. It was not impulsive at all. It It was deeply thought out and they were going towards objectives and goals that, that they refused to let go of, and that kept them going when they were, when times were very difficult.
0: The book is called The Founding Fortunes, How the Wealthy Paid For and Profited from America's Revolution. Tom, it's a, just a fantastic read. I loved it. Where I wanted can we, to hear that. Well, where can we get it, Tom? Everywhere?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, you know, it's in most big bookstores and certainly Amazon, and it's also available, by the way an e-book, and also an audio book. It's the first time for me that I've had all three things published at the same time.
0: I saw that just today, too, the audio book. That's fantastic. So if you want to take it on your run with you, you can do that. After you listen to Stacking Benjamins, guys. Tom, Tom Shackman, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and talking about the founding Back fortunes down. with us.
4: Hey there, money fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And while Tom Shachtman, guy sneaky slips a T right there in the middle of his name, might talk about John Hancock and Sam Adams, I'm going to talk about the most important person here, Gertrude, 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 oh yeah, that's right, community manager, yeah. So if you've forgotten, today is Community Manager Appreciation Day, and what better way to appreciate someone than taking some work off their plate. So I'm going to take some work off our community manager, Gertrude's shoulders. So, uh, you know, in the spirit of giving and also showing everyone who's the real genius around here, I just snuck on over and grabbed the passwords to all of our social media accounts so I could make some posts of my own. Know what I mean? So, uh, check this one out. Check it out. Uh, let's do Facebook. That's a good one. Uh, Hey guys, Gertrude here see that everyone thinks it's her it's brilliant uh okay uh and the new stacking benjamin's episode starring doug is absolutely amazing also joe and og uh they talk a little bit gertrude out it sounds just like her i'll tell you how that goes later but i know what you really want Uh, some of my trivia so i'll just cover that too how about this for a social media inspired question which country's users waste the most time scrolling social media i'll be back with your answer right after i snap a few instagram shots of me and the cat
0: Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. I want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military. Veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their military appreciation month offers and other Navy federal offers. Navy federal is insured by NCUA equalizing lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed.
4: Welcome back, social media lovers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and here's the thrilling conclusion to today's trivia question and my quest to help out our overworked social media manager Gertrude. Okay, uh, I, I I don't know what happened, uh, but it looks like today's post about the show accidentally got deleted or something. Probably something very uh, you know, a technical algorithmic function that went sideways, or you know, I probably just clicked the wrong button. But you know, it's one of those two things. But I'll just do it again. Take two. Hey, guys. Gertrude here again. Anyone else love Doug's trivia? If so, you got to check out today's Stacking Benjamins episode. Gertrude, out. Perfect she does less work and our fans get more of what they deserve more Doug and uh, in that spirit the spirit of more Doug let's get back to your trivia answer shall we before the break I answered you this amazing and interesting nugget which country's users waste time scrolling the most social media the answer if you said the USA shame on you maybe you need to rethink your time online buddy because uh, the Philippines is the winner, chatting away at an average of four hours and one minute a day. No wonder old Zuckster, thats a, you know Mark Zuckerberg—has the net worth of eighty billion dollars. Maybe he should calculate his fortune in Philippine pesos. Weird. I keep uh, I keep trying to help Gertrude. That's really crazy. And the post I wrote—it's—it's it's like it's gone again. I gotta figure this out. See ya.
0: Big thanks to Tom for calling in on my dad's shortwave radio. Interesting. OG. money may not be the main motive,
3: but it was tied for a second.
0: <laughs> a lot of, a lot of cash involved in, uh, in the founding fortunes. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first.
3: Getting on an airplane. Going to New York because I was finally invited. Bam! Are you going to go? Well, it's too late for me to cancel now. Fantastic!
0: Hey guys, uh, by the way, on that note, let's interrupt David Lifeline here for a second. We're coming to New York City.
3: New York City!
0: Tomorrow. So if you are in and around Manhattan, come and uh, meet up with us. Details on our Facebook page, details in the Stacker newsletter, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Stacker to get that. Hopefully we see a bunch of you there. OG and our friend Bobby Rebel and I are going to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes of the show for a little bit. And uh, I'm bringing some books from recent authors to give away and do one of Doug's trivia questions. And then we'll... Say hi to as many people as we can and hang out with like-minded money nerds. Should be a great time tomorrow night at the financial gym. But our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put that first. Spending more time at the Financial Gym hanging out with like-minded people, OG, instead of filling out life insurance applications. That's why they may buy quality term life insurance. Actually, simple. Head to com forward slash Haven Life Now for a free quote. Application is simple online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. All policies, of course, issued by their parent company, MassMutual, more than 160 years old. And today, we're throwing out the lifeline to Heather. Say hi, Heather. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Heather from Massachusetts. And my husband and I just opened an HSA with Fidelity. And now we don't know what to invest it in. We have the savings for the deductible, so we would like to leave it in the HSA for about 10 years or so. We'd like it to grow, but we don't know what mutual funds or stocks or bonds or whatever to invest it in. Could you please help us out? Thanks. Hey, thanks for the call, Heather. You know, this is interesting, OG. A lot of people, let's get even a little bit more basic a lot of people don't even know that you can invest your HSA which is the really exciting part of this
3: and it all depends on where the HSA is i think the other thing that i that's important to note here is with your HSA account it's not required to be at the same place that your employer sets it up at or anything like that so if you have a crappy one that charges a whole bunch of money cuz there's still kind of the wild wild west out there there's a lot of fees and that sort of thing built into these You can just pick it up and move it. It's not like uh, your 401k where you have to use that product or that program. So, what makes a HSA beautiful is when they first started, we were using them as kind of on demand. Like, I've got a thousand bucks of medical expenses this year. I put a thousand bucks in my HSA. I can take that money out. Basically, I'm going to pay my out of pocket costs with pre tax money. Ergo, I'm saving myself 20 or 30 percent taxes, which is a cool way to do it. Just like uh, you can prepay or you can pay um, dependent care expenses through your payroll deduction and that sort of stuff. Very similar type program. But then people figured out really quickly that, wait a second, I can hang on to this money. And then companies started offering the ability to invest it into all manner of different things, you start doing the math and saying, well, if I'm 30 and I'm putting in my HSA contribution every year or 7,000 if I'm single or married filing joint, that's just like another Roth IRA. <laughs> like that Money gets to be invested over 30 years of my life uh, and then I'll use it. And the nice thing, at least right now anyway, with an HSA is there's no time restriction on when you can claim those medical expenses. So it makes it kind of enticing then is you're 35, you've got a medical expenses uh, this year of a thousand bucks. You can reimburse that to yourself in 35 years from now when you're 70 years old.
0: That's the amazing part. That is absolutely fantastic. You got to
3: keep track of it. Sure. You know, with tools and stuff like that these days, you should be able to do that pretty easily. So,
0: and if you do that by the way, and you don't take extraordinary risk, meaning you don't treat this like it's a casino. There is a fantastic probability just based on what markets have done historically, that you're going to pay these bills with the interest, the money that these funds the make—pennies on the dollar. You're not even gonna—you're not gonna use the money you put in to pay it. It's gonna be the money this money makes will pay your bills. Yeah, that's pretty
3: exciting. Yeah, and it goes goes forever. So that's the really cool part. So what we usually tell people to do is primarily, again, think about this from the perspective of what the vehicle is for. Primarily, the vehicles to allow you to pay. For out of pocket healthcare costs with pre tax dollars. You have to pair this with a high deductible healthcare plan, also, right? So you can't just go out and get an HSA. You have to make sure that your plan allows you to have an HSA. Your healthcare plan allows you to have an HSA. So assuming that it does, and now you have an HSA and now you put money into it, payroll deductions, or you just lump sum it for the year, however you want to do it, all of that's well and good. The primary function of this, remember, is to pay for out-of-pocket healthcare costs. So if you have a high deductible this year or you have a high deductible year, you have some major accident or major illness and you're out-of-pocket of, of $10,000, dollars $15,000, some of these plans have those high deductibles, you got to come up with that money. That's what this is for. So we always tell people the best thing to do is to make sure you've got enough money in your HSA, or as Heather said, hey, we've got enough money in cash to pay the out-of-pocket deductible, and treat it the way that it's supposed to be treated. So... First contribution, second contribution, uh, years are probably all going to go to cash to allow you to take care of business if, you know, God forbid you actually need to use this darn thing for the use that it's for, which is to pay healthcare expenses. After that, you can start investing it. Where should you invest it? Any manner of places. You're at Fidelity, Fidelity has tons of uh, low cost products available. Why not just pick a combination of Uh, U S big company stocks, U S small company stocks, and some international, you don't have to get too fancy with it. You could probably do this in two or three positions, uh, what the right allocation is entirely up to you, but it might model or might look a lot like how the world is divided up in terms of gross domestic output. You could kind of look that up and say, well, what would be the percentages if you're going to do it? But, um, It doesn't have to be super fancy. You could put all of this year's contribution in a U.S. large company fund and all of next year's contribution in an international fund and all of the year's contribution after that in a U.S. small company fund. You know, however you want to do it. The important thing is to make sure you're aware of what the transaction costs are going to be. Not all HSA companies are created equally. And secondly, you want to make sure that you're aware of any ongoing maintenance costs that these uh, organizations have. Some of them are kind of minuscule. You got $2 a month or whatever but over a long period of time, you know, that stuff can uh, can certainly add up, especially if you have a lower balance.
0: On that note, a great resource, Heather, and for everybody else uh, we uh, have for you is on our show notes page. The last two years in a row, we've had the experts over at Morningstar who look at HSAs, both from the uh, fee side and the usability side, if you're going to be paying money in and out of the fund, and then the investment side from mm-hmm. both approaches Morningstar looked at both of those, and we'll link to the latest time they were on, which I think was about three
3: months ago, maybe four Seems months Seems like three or four months ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: not that long ago. Uh, we'll have that on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. That's going to do it for today. Big thanks again to everybody for hanging out with us today. Including me. Big thanks to me. Big thanks to OG. We know that OG's time is valuable, and the fact that we get him <laughs> here in the basement at all
3: is amazing. Quite amazing. Yep. Yes. Yes. You're welcome, um, America.
0: The fact that you had to bring his feather bowl with him is a whole different thing. I'm not sure what that's about, hey, but...
3: You got to look good, baby. What, what are you going to
0: do? Whatever. The, uh, uh, big thanks to everybody who's also left us reviews of this show. This one is the one mom's bragging about today and has on the refrigerator. Five stars from Peter Griffin the Third. Nice. <laughs> This show is freaking amazing. That's all it is. There it is. Show's freaking amazing. Can almost hear it. Big thanks for that, Peter. Great job. If you'd like to shout out to the world, your love of Stacky Benjamins, maybe mom will uh, shout it out to the Bridge Club as well. And lastly, OG and his team are taking clients. So if uh, you'd like to know more about how they could be in your corner working for you, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG, just the letters OG, and you'll get there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from your man. What should we have learned
4: today? So what should we learn learned today? First, take a lesson from Thomas Schachtman. Money, there's nearly always a financial bent, even in a revolution. Second, take a lesson from our headlines. ESG investing? If it's what you want to do, don't worry about returns being lower. Start with your goals, and if you wish to have an ESG fund, use it. But the big lesson... Hey, everybody. This is Doug, and I'm a complete doofus. And Gertrude is amazingly smart and on But what? Wait, I didn't write this. All right, look, I was only trying to help Gertrude. Uh, happy Community Manager's Day. That, that makes it better, right? Special thanks to Tom Schachtman for joining us today. You'll find founding fortunes wherever books are sold. This show is created by Joe Seahide, produced by Richie Rudder-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know this show is for entertainment purposes only and before making any financial decisions consult with a real financial advisor thanks also to the sizzler for helping me help gertrude celebrate community manager day while mike the manager said i still have to pay he said he'll chip in and let us sit closer to the buffet thanks mike
0: I've got a bunch of people that I need to thank. But before I do that, I just wanted to say one of the great things about moving back to Michigan is that I'm around family again and get to see my nieces and nephews do uh, stuff. And I've, my kids are old enough, OG, that I've totally forgotten going to these elementary and middle school productions. And, <laughs> My niece got to play the part. It's amazing, of the, isn't it? Got to play the part of a Genie as a 7th grader in Aladdin and there mm-hmm. must have been 200 kids in this thing, you know, and uh big production numbers. She did a fantastic job, but it was hilarious just just the kids. Some of the kids that wanna watch the show while they're in the show. You okay? I'm listening.
3: I'm just I'm stretching.
0: Some of the kids that are watching the show.
3: Got some tight hammies. Just trying to loosen them up a little bit.
0: Just just that kind of non sequitur right there is exactly what some of the kids were doing. I'm like, they don't even know there's a show going on. There's these two kids like whispering, (laughs) whispering on the stage to each other. I have no idea what they're talking about, but they're having a full blown conversation while everybody else is doing the parade as uh, Aladdin has become Prince Ali, and they're all going down the street, and these kids are just yakking. Just
3: just having a conversation. They're these two kids. They've seen it already 32 times. (laughs) They know know exactly what happens next. They don't need to pay attention.
0: Uh, Cheryl also alerted me. There were some kindergartners that were sitting on the front of the stage, and they put their hands up from time to time, did all the basic stuff. But there were a few nose pickers, I have to say. That were right up front, grabbing that goodness, eating it in front of a, front of a room full of people, auditorium full of people. And in fact, there was one kid that realized halfway through the number while my niece is in the middle of this one solo part of the song that he's not in the right place. He needed to be two kids over from the spot where he is. (laughs) So he's sitting on the edge of the stage, right in front of my niece. stands up right in front of her, goes two people like counts and looks, and then has the people move and gets yeah, over move there. Move over! I gotta get right here. I gotta make sure I'm here. Yeah, that 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 was awesome.
3: I I I. But it it's is. cool to be able to go see family. It is, you know, just. The support of it and, and that sort of thing. It, it,
0: it was so fun being able to go.
3: A blinding blizzard.
0: Pay 15 to bucks from. to watch kindergartners pick their nose. Time well spent. Actually, it was time very well spent. Got to do a few shout outs here. We never asked people to send us stuff. And OG's about to get jealous because I've had people send me some great stuff lately. And I've got to say a big thank you. I got to first say a big thank you to Jake. When we were talking during our Halloween episode about how much I like Nestle Crunch Bars, it turns out that Jake works at the factory that makes the Nestle Crunch Bar. And Jake sent me, let's put it this way, a lot more Nestle Crunch Bars than uh, Jesse, my Met Pro coach, really wants me to have. And I I took
3: advantage of those things.
0: Those were fantastic. Hmm.
3: Cool. Jake, you're dead to me. Next.
0: (laughs) Next also. This one you could have had.
3: Could have had the Nestle bars too.
0: Well, this one you could—you you didn't say you love Nestle bars. See, you, you got to latch on to what you really like. Don't like Hem and Hahn? Say you like a little bit of everything.
3: <sighs> I am a gigantic fan of Woodford Bourbon. It's <laughs> <anybody> by far <laughs> my favorite of all time.
4: If anybody works for Woodford, and
3: Doug turned me on to Elijah Craig, which is also pretty good. Um, makes a Pretty good, old-fashioned. I'm trying know, to cut back lately. How does Doug know good um, stuff? I don't know. He, a friend of his told him, I think, is actually That's how it worked. Amazing. I'm a really huge fan of places like Capitol Grill, Morton's, Ruth's Chris. If you're in the Dallas area, Three Forks has got amazing salad and cream corn. Um, I'm trying to think of all the other things. Oh, I love flying airplanes. So if, you um, get- so if you have an airplane that I can buy, <laughs> <fly. laughs> uh, I'll me even get- sit in the right hand side and see, but anyways, back to you, 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 got yes. chocolate candy bars. I've noticed that, you Lucas. know, you're wearing it a little bit better. What else?
0: <laughs> Luke, Lucas got uh, a couple AMC gift cards and he doesn't have an AMC theater near him. And he's like, Hey, I okay. love, love the movie review. So here, this is for you. And, uh,
3: a little bit more of a movie
0: fan than you, I am. You and Cheryl to go see movies. So thank you to him. Nice. We nice. actually saw a movie that we'll talk about on Wednesday, Jumanji. We haven't talked about the new Jumanji movie yet, and uh, we'll talk about that on Wednesday. So big thanks there. And also uh, thanks to Abby at uh, Games Adults Play. Abby sent me a collection of games for adults, like the Misery Index, which are all these miserable things. So what they do in the misery index, they give you 200 cards, OG. And you have to, have you and I played the game Timeline? I think we have.
3: I'm not sure. I, it doesn't sound familiar.
0: It's, it's it's a game where you you take things in history and you have to put them in order according to when they occurred. Well, in this one, they have a bunch of experts giving you a number between one and 100 on a 0.5 scale, so 55.5, 56, 56.5, how bad games are. We got a special guest with us today. I could talk about that more in a minute if she'd like to. Be- Does she want to become a star?
3: Uh, already is a star, and no. Okay. Mom
0: was upstairs uh, watching OG Jr., and uh, little OG Jr. just came down, and she's not feeling well.
3: Uh, yeah, a little bit better right now. That's Caroline, true. that's her name. Everybody knows Caroline. Anyway, played kind the, of more like a Mrs. OG Junior, actually. Th- that's true. Played this OG
0: over Christmas with my family, including my parents. Mm-hmm. And some of the miserable things are getting your finger chopped off, having that to sucks. having to spend two hours at the DMV. Like, how um, do those? Which one's more miserable of those? But then it got. Oh. Finger chopped off. But then it got a little crazy. There were a few. There were a few that were nuts. Like watching porn of your parents with your parents. Like how miserable would that be? And That's pretty miserable. And by the way, playing this game with mom.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that one seems like that sucks pretty bad. Is there a corollary to that? Or is that just, is that, that's where you just go, no, we're not playing this game anymore.
0: Uh, we played it. We were very interested to see exactly how miserable they thought that was. And I'll say this was—it's pretty damn miserable. It's pretty miserable.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you know from experience. It, it, no, I do not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was—that was horrifying. That's how, that's
3: how they kick up that game a notch. Is where like then you have to do the least miserable thing.
0: You got yeah. I'm sorry. Fingers got to go. Yep. Yeah. Not good. But uh-huh, anyway, bad. games adults play that was one of them friend or foe is another game. That's like, um, truth or dare. And, and it starts off really easy and it gets just ugly. And that one, OG, we got to the fifth round with family and I'm like, yeah, we're not talking about these. I'm like, yep, not that, that game would be cool, but not with you guys. Not, yeah. not gonna, not gonna do that, but some hilarious game. So anyway, Big thanks to all those guys for uh, for doing that. We, we don't ask anybody to do any any of this stuff. And please, don't think. I am that, asking. Don't think that even us. to
3: send bourbon and. <laughs> and airplanes. Boy, that sounds great. And airplanes. Bourbon you know. and air, airplanes. Yeah, that? but just think of it. If there was one person, there's just one person who's like, Well, you know, I got an airplane just sitting around. I don't mind. I just want to make this clear. Just by talking about it doesn't mean we're asking you to do it. No, not at all. I just, the thing.
0: I just need to say a very public thank you thing. because a lot of people have done nice stuff for us. So thank you so much.
3: The biggest nice thing you can do is keep listening. Amen, brother.
0: Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do